If you would, I'd like for you to turn to the third chapter of Titus. I would appreciate that very much. We're going to pretty much stay right there in chapter 3. Maybe go back to look at a couple verses in chapter 2 here in a minute. It's good to see uh, you. I said that just a couple minutes ago. I'm glad that you guys are here. We appreciate it so much. You're visiting with us. We welcome you to uh, Hoover. Appreciate uh, Tori Clark for preaching in my absence last Sunday. I know you were blessed by uh, Tori's message. I wish I was here to hear it, but I guess if I'd been here, I, I, I wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been speaking. So I'm glad you guys got to hear Tori. Uh, Melanie and Griffin and Bailey and I enjoyed a quick trip to uh, Texas. Um, we had been planning that for some time. Bailey flew down and Griffin's already down there for uh, a college trip, mission sort of trip. And uh, anyway, we got to spend a few days at Logan and Holly's house in the middle of Texas. And so it was a good trip for us. We enjoyed being able to be there a few days. But we're glad to be home and hope you guys are having a good summer as it's gotten started. Uh, as I mentioned a minute ago, this theme of renewal, we chose that at the beginning of 21 or at the end of 2421 because of the significantly awful year that was 2020 and how it had, uh, you know, we've talked about this and I guess for years to come people will be talking about it in some way, the way that the world is forever changed by 2020 and some of the things that happened, not only the pandemic, but various kind of things that grew out of that or that, that it exacerbated things. It was, just a, it was just a rough year, rough year for many churches, you know. And there are people, um, there are people in, in most churches that it seems as if we've lost, you know, people who maybe because of a time away from the church, they haven't yet come back, and maybe some of them will not come back, and so it's a scary thing. But regardless, it was a difficult year, and so the idea being that as we move into 21 with maybe a spirit of optimism and with things changing, things getting better in the world and in our own country, that, that we could focus on a better spirit and a more optimistic spirit. And I couldn't think of a better way to do that than to think about the great new things that God does for His people. Pandemics don't catch God by surprise, you know. Uh, God, God is aware. God is fully engaged. God is still acting. We sometimes look around us and we think, you know, I wonder where God is. The psalmist would say that quite a bit, you know, in the Old Testament. Where are you, God? It seems like you're, you're sleeping, and maybe we've had that sort of thing. But, but, but I think focusing on what God does is an important corrective to our own tendency to be people of despair, to people of hopelessness, you know? It's to go back and to remember, to remind ourselves again and again and again. Because of our humanity, we need it a lot but to remind ourselves repeatedly that God is still in the business of making people new, of doing new things, of bringing about hope out of hopelessness, of life out of death, optimism out of pessimism. God is still in the business of doing new things. And so, Titus 3. What Paul is doing here is he's writing a letter to one of his church planners. Now, Titus was working in a difficult environment on the island of Crete. Crete didn't have a good reputation. It had a, had a lot of, well, it had a bad reputation, to be honest. It had kind of a spirit there that wasn't, wasn't a very hopeful one. There were lots of bad things going on there. Paul is mentoring him. He's kind of like a protege to Paul. And so Paul writes this letter to Titus, and he's trying to help him to understand, here's how you do ministry in a difficult environment like Crete. He's probably trying to get things organized. We know he is. 
Titus 1 tells us this is you need to get some elders together. You need to appoint some elders in these different churches. You need to get things organized so that you can carry on the work. So that's why Paul is writing Titus, this letter. And so when we get to Titus 3, I want you to notice, just remembering that, it helps you to, to remember, to, to know why he says the word remind there at the beginning of verse 1. Remind them. It's because Titus is a preacher, you know, and he says, okay, you got these people there. You've got to be preaching to them. This is some stuff you need to remind them of. And there's this focus here on what it means to be born again. Now, I don't know. That's kind of a loaded phrase, isn't it? What do you think of when you hear the phrase born again? That's not a good environment for us to have feedback, audible feedback, but I am curious to know what you think of when you think of born again. Of course, I'm talking to a Sunday morning crowd. I wonder if I said that, what do you think of when you think of the word born again? If I said that on a busy street in Birmingham, for example, or if I went to New York City in Manhattan and I, I stopped some, some folks who were busy going to work and I said, what do you think of when you think of born again? I wonder what their response would be. What do you think? Born again. What, 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 kind, of, what kind of emotions, what kind of thoughts does that bring up? I think our answers would probably vary based on whom we're asking. You know, to this crowd, I think probably it would get a pretty mostly favorable idea when it comes to born again, right? I mean, we, we're mostly church, church people, and we've, been, we've, uh, we've used that expression a lot. Born again would have a negative connotation with a lot of people who are a few steps away from Christianity, I think. Oh, born again. I know those people. Yeah, born again. You're one of those born again people? Oh, It'd kind of be like that. Oh, it's kind of a skeptical kind of spirit toward born-again people. Oh, you're that. You're, you're, you're this fundamentalist. You're this just radical on the fringes of, of you know, normal society or whatever. Paul uses the expression. It's a good one, by the way. We just need to make sure that we're using it in a way that honors what God teaches about being born again. And inherent in the idea of this new birth idea is the idea of what God does to renew us. And so that's going to be our focus for the next few minutes. I want to read just the last part of what Sean read uh, at the end of the paragraph in Titus 3, 4. So he says verse 1 through 3. Here, Titus, you need to preach to these people. Remind them they need to be submissive. Remember to remind them that they didn't always act as they should have acted. We ourselves, it was the same way, verse 3. Verse 4, but when... But when, here's, here's the big change. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to pretty much camp out right there and talk about what God does to renew people in, uh, in the work of the Spirit. So verse, verse 5. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read you a testimony in just a minute from a lady who was baptized about two days ago in another state. And it, um, I read it, I guess I read this yesterday from a friend who had baptized this lady. And I don't know, sometimes in, church, in churches you can get cynical. You know, you can, you can kind of get to a point where you're thinking, I don't, I don't see the, the amazing work of God. I don't, see, I don't see the evidence. Sometimes it, it can become frustrating because you think, well, it just seems like the world is getting worse and worse, and, and the church isn't making the kind of difference in the world that we wish it was. And you think, 
on our bad days, you can think, maybe God isn't really working like he used to. You know, maybe, maybe God was working in this country 50 years ago, but maybe God has stopped. Maybe he's abandoned us. I don't know. You can have all sorts of thoughts. And then I ran across this testimony, and it was pretty incredible. I want to read it to you in just a minute. But, but I want to say this before we, before we do that. The language Paul uses here is incredible when he's talking about the work that the Spirit of God does. And I forget that sometimes. Get caught up in life, get caught up in just the, the busyness of the days, of the tasks that need to be done, the things that we've got to accomplish, the to-do list, items that need to be checked off. And we can kind of forget, even Christians, even ministers who are Christians, you know, uh, we, we can forget that God still works. He's still doing things. He's still changing hearts. He's still overwhelming people with His kindness, His goodness, and His grace. And He's bringing about real life change. We would know that if we just took Titus 3 at face value. I mean, it really says something pretty amazing. And, and what I'm talking about is in verse 5, when he says the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit... The language here is about new birth. It's about bringing life out of the womb. Of course, he's talking about spiritual life here. But the word regeneration is the word. It's only used two times. And um, it's translated regeneration, which is a, is a great translation. But, but I, want, I want to talk to you just for a second about the, the words that are used to make this word. And it actually means something like, if you looked at it in the original text, you would see it. It actually means like a regenesis. It has in that, embedded in it, this word genesis. And then it has the, like the prefix re, like doing something again. This was actually a pretty common word in Paul's world, but it was mostly used outside of Christianity. And it was used particularly in Greek philosophical circles by some of these, you've heard of Stoics. In, in the world in which Paul lived and the world with which he was pretty familiar, the Stoic world, they would use this word to talk about the way they viewed history. And the way the Stoics viewed history was that it was a cyclical thing. That the world would... It would, it would get worse and worse and worse and worse. And then finally there would be this great fire, this conflagration uh, where everything is consumed and there would be a new start. And then it would get better and then it would start getting worse and it, was, it would go downhill and there would be another great fire. So it was this cycle where periodically you would have this regenesis this regeneration of the world. That's the way the Stoics viewed it. It was just over and over again. It wasn't going anywhere. It wasn't going to get better. Oh, it would get better for a time, and then it would get worse. And then there would be this great burning, purging. And then they'd start over, and then do it again. And do it. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't have some destination in mind. That's the way they would use this word, this Greek word here, of this thing that would happen periodically over and over and over again. So you would have multiple regenerations of the earth. Jesus used this word one time. Listen to this. Matthew 19, 28. This is the way the ESV puts it. You may have a slightly different translation if you're using something different. But he says this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new world, that's the word there, in the new world, 
When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Listen to that. I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. So Jesus is clearly talking about that final day, that, that new world, that new heaven and earth. He's talking about that day when he, could, when he goes to sit on his glorious throne. That's the Matthew 25. Uh, remember that? And Jesus said, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he'll sit upon this throne of glory. Remember that story? He'll separate those from the right, from those on the left. Remember that? So he says... In the regenerated world, in the regenesis world, in that new world, when I sit on my glorious throne. So what I wanted you to see just for now is that the only other time this word is used in the New Testament, it's used by Jesus Christ to refer to the world as it will be in the new world. When the Lord comes again, that we Christians believe that is where history is going that from Genesis 1, that we are headed toward Revelation 22. That we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, we live in a fallen world, but it's not always going to be like this. We are going to a Revelation 21 and 22 world. We believe that history has a purpose. History has a destination. And Jesus uses the word to describe that new world. Okay, now here's my point. Here's what I want you to see. Paul uses the same word to describe what the Holy Spirit is doing, not then, but right now. This is a powerful word because Jesus uses it to describe the world as it will be when God does His incredible work in making this world what it ought to be and where we will dwell forever. Heaven, that's the way Jesus uses it. But Paul says... This is what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in the lives of people. That you've got heavenly work going on in earthly people. You've got this regeneration work, this restorative work, this transformative work that will be realized fully in heaven is already going on now in the lives of people. So whenever I or you are tempted to kind of disregard or, or maybe, um, I don't know, diminish or just not give it the, the power that it ought to have. Paul directs us here and he says, this new birth thing, this is a big deal. This is huge. This is heavenly work. This is, it's not just we're here for a little while and then finally we'll get to go to heaven. God's already bringing heaven to earth. God's kingdom work is ongoing. God is working in hearts right now. We ought to be. Here's a kind of a practical side, kind of, kind of a practical implication of this is that Christians ought to be bringing a little heaven wherever we go. That's what happens with a new birth. Is we become little pieces of evidence that heaven is real because people around us see a little bit of heaven living in us, they see the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, and they get to see something beyond the mundane and the ugly and the hate and the negativity. They get to see some hope. That's what Paul's saying here. The regeneration, the regenesis, the new heaven and new earth work of that realized in its 
finality and in its fullness is already going on in hearts. That's what I think Paul means by this when he says the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So one of the implications here, and I guess I want to, I same implication, but I want to apply it to two people, two groups of people. One is, I'd like to apply this. I'd like for you to think about this if you're not a Christian. Maybe not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. Maybe you're just thinking about it. Maybe you're joining us online today and you're just kind of um, wanting to pop in here and see what this is about. Um, God wants to do something big in your heart and life. I don't know what you think of when you think of born-again people. Uh, maybe you've got a negative connotation associated with that, perhaps. But I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about Christianity, then recognize that the work God is going to do in your heart might very well be pretty dramatic. It will be very dramatic. Because Christianity is not something you just take a little bit of. And I think, I think all of us are like this when we come to Christianity. Maybe we, we think, you know what, I, I'm coming to Christianity because I'm, I'm sad, you know. My life isn't going the way that I... And I need something more. I need something more than this. Look, I'm not saying that's, that's a bad thing. I'm not, I think we're all, we all have been there. Like Christianity might make me have a better life. I'm sad, I'm discouraged, work is not fulfilling, my, my marriage isn't good, whatever, life is hard, and, uh, and, I, and I need something more. And so we're like, maybe Christianity is the answer for me. That's not a bad motivation, by the way. It's just incomplete. You see, because I can, I can approach, we can approach Christianity as kind of like a self-improvement thing. This might make my life better. This might, this, this might make, you know, it might make me happier it might make my relationships better. It might make my marriage, but make me a better parent, whatever. But, but the thing is, this word suggests that God isn't in the business of just kind of smoothing out some rough edges to your character. God's in the business of remaking you and me. Amen. You know? Uh, he didn't just, he didn't just make us a little bit better. It didn't just make us a little bit more moral, a little bit more honest, a little bit less lustful. God makes us new people. So if you're not a Christian and you're thinking about it, I just want you to know, as you approach Jesus Christ, understand He loves you as you are, always will. But He's not going to leave you there. He loves you with all of your mistakes, all of your Man, all those skeletons in the closet. He, he loves you with all of that mess, all the garbage. He loves, he loves you in the middle of it. <coughs> but what he wants you to say to him is, he wants you to say to him, uh, I'm bringing all that to you. I don't know what to do with it. Quite honestly, I've made a mess of everything. And uh, I've, tried to, I've tried to be better. I've tried to pick up the pieces, but uh, I've just made a bigger mess. And so what he wants you to do is he wants you to bring it to him. So he can regenesis, he can regenerate your mess. That's what he wants to do. So often, you know, we come to him, I think, and we're like, well, I don't need that much. Like, I'm not that big of a mess. I just need a little work over here. And I got, you know, I got this little spot over here that needs to look a little bit better. See, Christianity, that's why born again is a pretty good thing for it, because it's this new birth thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a regeneration thing that's, that's going on.
So I mentioned the conversion story I wanted to mention, I wanted to read to you. I don't know this person, it just kind of struck me in view of what, what, what I was studying to prepare for you guys today, for us today. A friend baptized a young lady into Jesus on Friday, I think. And she shared how this was described by the lady who was baptized. It was a picture of her being baptized. And these are her words, edited just slightly. This is her picture, the one who was baptized, she wrote this. She said, these are deeply personal photos, so I hope all comments are respectful. I wavered for hours to think about posting this at all. But I feel like I've been given the courage and strength to make a huge leap in my life. Those of you who know me know that I have been a you, you, I think, just kind of an aside here, I think that means a Unitarian Universalist, I think that's what she means. A you, you, humanist, agnostic, pagan, atheist, Buddhist, pseudo-Hindu, yogic spirituality. I really don't know what all that is. She said, but I always, always, all caps, felt a hole. Deep down, something was missing I couldn't feel. I had specifically excluded Abrahamic religions from my studies for many years because of negative, impactful experiences with the church and people of the church. However, I felt like it was time to read the book that my family had held for generations. Over a year ago, I took on a journey to read the Bible with my dear friend for the first time for me. My journey of personal faith took me to a place I genuinely never expected. The Bible says over and over that humans are messed up like a lot. They fail a lot. You've got to forgive them anyway. And Jesus, she says, Jesus wasn't who I thought he was. He was much, much better. He healed people and loved the outcasts. He loved every one, every single person. He was a being of pure love and believed in humanity so strongly that he literally died to save us from this mortal coil. He believed in radical, unwavering love. So yesterday, she says, I joined this place of welcoming, kindness, love, and God's grace. Reborn of the Spirit through water, buried through water, and resurrected through Jesus. I'm never going to be perfect, but I will try every day to live up to the life I was given. I don't expect everyone to understand, and you don't have to. I still believe. I don't know, that just struck me. It reminded me, again, that God's still working in hearts, you know? You may work with someone, you may go to school with someone, you may have a neighbor who you think, that person is so, so far gone, so angry, so negative toward God, so negative toward Christianity, he or she would never, ever listen to anything that I would say or that any Christian would say. And I want to say to you, God is still in the regeneration business. 
His Holy Spirit is still working on people's hearts to conform and transform and to shape them and to bring out of those ugly, hate-filled hearts something beautiful and loving and kind. That's what that word means. The heaven that we're looking forward to is already happening in hearts all over the planet. Wherever the Spirit of God goes, He brings a little heaven into our hearts. And then we go around and we show that. And so I guess my, my application, my, my implication for people who aren't Christians is understand that God will make a difference in your life. He might, he might do something you don't even expect. To the rest of us who are already Christians, it just ought to be a word of, of encouragement like this. Let's, no matter how long it's been since we experienced this transformative work of the Spirit as we were baptized into Jesus and God began working more directly in our lives, no matter how long that day has been, let's not get so far from that day that we forget the power of God to change hearts. Let's don't undersell God. The power of God, as Paul expresses it here, is incredible. Here's the second idea, and that's it. It's the effect of it. I already really... <laughs> got ahead of myself and talked a lot about this, but the effect of God's working, what, what God does. I want to back up just for a little bit, just for a minute, and look at the last three or four verses of chapter 2. Look at this. So he's just talked, in chapter 3, he talks about the, the new birth, this regeneration idea. But I want you to notice verses 11 through 14, because I want us to ask this question. So, so how does this work? <clears throat> like, what are the effects of this? What happens when the Holy Spirit transforms human hearts? What happens when God regenerates? Here's what happens, verse 11, chapter 2. But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, he tells Titus. Exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. What happens? What happens when God does this work? What does it bring about? What's the motivating thing here? You see, see Paul, he, he, he prefaced his emphasis on the Holy Spirit by talking about the work that God does to train us. Verse 12 of chapter, to train us. This is a word that's used usually in a, uh, like a, a school in kind of environment, a learning kind of environment. This is what the word means. But usually it means something like discipline. It has a little bit of an edge to it. Training with discipline. This is what God does. He trains us and He changes who we are. We renounce ungodliness. We renounce worldly passions. We live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. In other words, we do works. We do good stuff as Christians. He changes what we do. We don't live like we used to. As Daniel prayed a minute ago um, in the first part of chapter 3, this is how we used to live. We used to speak evil. We used to quarrel. We used to, we used to be disobedient. We used to be foolish and we were led astray. We were slaves to all sorts of lust. We were filled with malice and envy. We hated people. We engaged in this life of hate, you know. But what happened? God has taught us a better way. So, why do we do differently? 
Why, why, why do we as Christians, why, why, why does Jesus call us to a different way? Why do we love instead of hate? Why are we people who, who are obedient instead of disobedient? And the answer to it is because of the grace of God. Verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And the grace of God has trained us. It's the schoolroom. It's the environment. It's our teacher. It's our, the world in which we learn to be obedient, to be kind, to be loving. It is the grace of God. You see, until we get a grip on the grace of God, how incredible and how life-changing it is, we're always going to continue wallowing in the mire of disobedience. If we think that we can somehow earn God's favor through what we do, we will recognize there's nothing we can do, and so we'll be constantly discouraged, trying to work harder until we finally give up. If we think the grace of God has done everything and I have no response to that, it's just I can just be disobedient, then I don't understand how beautiful the grace of God is either. But when we understand that God's grace is so incredible and so wonderful and so powerful and that there is nothing we can do to measure up, there's nothing we can do to earn the favor of God, but nonetheless, Jesus loves us as we are extending His grace and kindness toward us, then it frees us out of gratitude to be obedient. You see, that's the effect of the working of God. So I guess to Christians I would say this. If your life is characterized right now by persistent disobedience, if you find yourself being characterized by hate and gossip and slander, if you're overwhelmed with lust, pursuing the passions of the flesh, it is because you have not fully leaned into the grace of God. You haven't embraced it. Don't appreciate it. You don't truly understand how undeserving you are. See, what Paul is saying, all this coming together, this renewing work of the Holy Spirit, it brings about, because of our awareness of the grace of God, life change in us, we become little, little heavens walking around because of the work of heaven that God is doing in our hearts today. And so we live and we work and we act out of response, out of this response of gratitude to the work of God, of what He's done in our hearts. If you're not a Christian this morning, I already said quite a bit in reference to your journey toward Christ, perhaps. God has led you to this point today where you've recognized. Maybe you've just been kind of looking at Christianity from a distance, looking at Jesus from a distance. I, I would love for you to have that same journey as the one I just read about, where maybe you've avoided Christianity because of hurt, pain, bad experiences, whatever it might have been. I don't know. But I hope you just look a little bit more closely at Jesus. If you already have, God has led you to this point. You're ready to turn your heart and life over to Him. Just understand... What God is going to do in your life is He's going, to, he, he's, going to, he's going to transform you. His work is powerful. The Spirit is going to change your heart and life. And He's going to bring you the kind of peace and hope and a future that maybe you can't even imagine right now. If you're ready to become a Christian, we invite you on His behalf to give your heart and life to Him.
to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of God's Spirit, His transformative, powerful Spirit who's going to work in your heart and life. We invite you today to give your heart to Him. Maybe you need to come and ask for prayers today. We'd love to pray for you. Whatever's going on, if we can help you in some sort of way, uh, we'll, we'll be glad to do that. I stand. Let's sing this song.